Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Now here's your host, James Landry. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm your host, James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today for our first podcast of 2021. Today, we will cover estate and income tax considerations in light of President-elect Biden's tax policy proposals. And to help us do that today, we have a guest here, Mr. Steve Burke from the law firm of McLean Middleton. You can have a trust for quite a long time, but it can't be perpetual in New Hampshire. So with the kind of fear of a lower exemption rate, many people are creating these dynasty or perpetual trusts to allow for assets to remain in trust, exempt from the estate tax for multiple generations. Let me give you a little of Steve's background. Steve is a shareholder and director of the McLean Law Firm, where he has been a member of its tax, trusts, and estates and corporate departments for over 25 years. And using his expertise as a licensed CPA, as well as an attorney, Steve advises high net worth individuals, families, and fiduciaries on estate and income tax planning and administration and wealth preservation strategies. Steve also serves as trustee of many significant family trusts, working closely with beneficiaries, family offices, and advisors regarding fiduciary, legal tax, and trust administration issues. And I personally have worked with Steve and some of his other colleagues at the McLean firm for Uh, a few years now and can speak very highly of his uh, background, his expertise, his knowledge and experience. And he has been very instrumental and helpful for much of the estate planning that our clients have done in the past years. And we're looking forward to continue our relationship into the future. Steve received his LLM in taxation from the Boston University School of Law in 1990, a JD from the University of New Hampshire School of Law from, and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts Lowell in 1984 and finally a BA from Bates College in 1981. So he certainly has credentials and the experience. He's an adjunct faculty member at the University of New Hampshire School of Law, and of course worked as a CPA previously at Pricewaterhouse in Boston, Massachusetts. So Steve, welcome. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, Thank you again for the kind words and uh, happy new year. Happy new year to you. And so let's get right into it if we could, Steve, if you don't mind. Give us a high-level overview of where we stood from an estate planning standpoint back in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and what, if anything, changes from your standpoint uh, based on the recent election results. And I I say election results, certainly the U.S. presidential election, but now, even more recently, the January 5th special election in in Georgia. Yes. well, Well, first, as most of your listeners will remember, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act had a provision which provide for a major change to the estate and gift tax law. The exemption at that time was $5 million adjusted for inflation, which in 2017 was about $5.5 million. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act doubled that exemption to $11 million, again, adjusted for inflation. As of today, that rate, that exemption is now $11,700,000 per person. And as a result of an earlier tax act, The exemption itself is what we call portable, which means that husband and wife or spouses each have the $11,700,000 exemption. And if one of them passes away and has an unused exemption, they pass it on uh, to the other spouse. Uh, Obviously, this with this very significant exemption, we've seen a lot of activity in the transfer uh, of wealth world 
one of the peculiarities with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was a significant portion of its provisions were sunset. And this is a result of the arcane rules of the Senate in order to get it passed. They had to, and because of budget provisions, they had to have an expiration provision. So this part of the law, the increase of the exemption actually expires uh, on December 31st, 2025, assuming that Congress does nothing between now and then. So that, as you intimated, has resulted in many people accelerating gifting to use up that exemption while we know it is at this historically high level. And I should just inter- interrupt you just for a second, Stephen, just clarify. We're talking about federal estate tax exemptions right here in certain states. Right. My state in Massachusetts, the law is entirely different. And so those exemptions are com- quite different for Massachusetts residents at the state level, right? Correct. Yeah, Massachusetts in particular has the exemption, which was in place for federal purposes back in the year 2000, which is a $1 million exemption uh, without that portability provision. So right. Massachusetts has a very low exemption and it's use it or lose it, so to speak. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. As we look at, you know, the sunset provision in, so December 31st, 2025, you go back to that 5 million plus inflation. And so I would imagine the number would be around six and a half, something around that, if Congress does not uh, change the law. No, so as we came up on this election towards the end of the year, many people felt that if it was going to become a Democratic administration, and then also if the Senate control would then rest in with the Democratic Party, there was a good chance that, there is a good chance that we may not be waiting until December 31st, 2025, before that law sunsets. The law could be changed much sooner. Is, is that accurate? Or that's, there... that's correct. I mean, Congress can change the law anytime Congress acts and the president uh, signs the law that they've, they've passed. One of the uh, interesting factors was not just with the sunset provision, but also with the looming election and changeover in Congress, was that the IRS came out with regulations saying that in the event that someone uses their higher exemption and it is later sunset, they're grandfathered, which means they get to use it. So that resulted, and I know your team knows this well, and many people at the end of 2020 transferring a significant portion of their wealth to use up that exemption before it went away. Now, again, that, as you indicated, that possibility still exists because even though we've had a, a changeover in Congress and we've got a new administration people are still very concerned that there may be a change in the law and they would like to utilize the existing exemption. So lots of people are focusing on this during the first quarter of 2021. And why I say the first quarter is we don't know when Congress is going to act. And we also don't know whether if Congress acts, it will be retroactive. So that's been a huge topic of discussion among planners as to whether there, there could be a retroactive change, and if there is, how to protect against it. So in any event, there are provisions in planning that can be included to kind of protect yourself from a retroactive exemption so that if you gift over the exemption, again, uh, remember that the estate tax and gift tax rate is 40%, so it's very significant in the event that you gift over that exemption. I think it's important to put a provision in the transfer documents that you've got that allows for kind of a retroactive adjustment so that if you gift when the exemption's at 11 million and it's subsequently reduced to say five or six million, you're not taxed on the delta, the difference between those two numbers. Rather, there's a change or a transfer of that over amount 
to some other vehicle, for example, a marital trust where, uh, or a charitable trust where there would not be a gift tax. Right. That makes sense. So just sort of uh, contingency planning, so to speak, mm-hmm. in the event that it is <clears throat> retroactive. So in addition to the, the sunset in, in, in 2025, the end of 2025, of course, President-elect Biden has said he wants to go ahead and sunset that right away, not wait until the end of 2025. But there are other significant um, provisions of his tax policy that he espoused uh, as he you know, successfully ran for uh, uh, office. And one of those, to me, seems significant was this lack of step-up in basis for appreciated assets at a decedent's death. So under current law, if you own an asset directly, it's not a retirement account, it's maybe real estate or an individual stock, and that asset is appreciated. Under current law, if you were to pass away, that asset's cost basis is stepped up. Now, of course, if it's depreciated, it's also stepped down, but they're called the adjustment in basis at death, which can result in your heirs being able to sell that asset without uh, recognizing a capital gain tax. So President Biden has proposed to eliminate that for certain taxpayers that are deceased that have income that I believe is over $400,000. So that would affect many of our clients. What do you think is the likelihood of that type of uh, change coming over the, the pike? Well, I think that would be probably the most significant change, frankly, James. I really think it would. And there's some precedent, of course, back in the, with the Bush tax cuts in the early 2000s, effective in 2010, right. the estate tax was repealed, but also the step up in basis was repealed for uh, decedents with assets over $1.3 million, I believe the amount was. So there's some precedent for that. And the step up in basis provision is really a rule of convenience for the IRS because goodness knows people don't know what they paid for things uh, that they purchased 30, 40, 50 years ago. So uh, I believe that if it does occur, there'll be likely that there'll be the same type of provision, whereas there'll be a certain amount that gets stepped up at anything over that won't be, and which would result in not a significant estate tax, but a significant income tax right. to family members who are, are receiving property by gift uh, or inheritance, which would really be a very significant change and really, frankly, a pain in the neck to keep track of. Right. But the way we've been thinking about this, and I know your team is very familiar with this, is that we're, when we create irrevocable trust into which people gift, we, we put a provision in there, which is still allowable at this time, to allow the transferor, the person who's gifting into the trust, to substitute assets. So if you gift a low basis asset into the trust and subsequently you've got other cash or a high basis asset, it may make sense to swap that asset out so that if the trust subsequently sells it, you're not trapped or stuck with this very high gain. So it's a way, it's not a perfect solution by any stretch, but it's a good way to allow for this type of planning now, meaning use up your exemption, gift into a trust for the benefit of family to secure that higher exemption. And then in some respects, protect against the loss of the step up in basis later by virtue of being able to swap assets in and manage it that way. So there's a few different things that can be done, but as you indicated, in the event that this loss of step up in basis occurs, I think it's going to be a very significant change, really a a very significant income tax on family members. Yeah, and I don't want to get too technical, but it seems like this swap power, just like it was in 2017 when the exemption went up to, you know, 11 million and change, most people fell out of the need for estate tax planning and really were more focused on income tax planning 
because the law threshold had been so high for estate tax before the estate tax was triggered. So this swap power allowed them to take advantage of income tax planning. Sounds like it's going to be the same situation all over again. It's just the opposite. Now I, I don't have a basis step up. So maybe I want to swap an asset that had has a high basis back into my estate for an asset right. that has a low basis. So just the opposite, but the mechanism is still there, right? Uh, exactly right. Yeah, right. That, that's exactly the planning. You know, I know that certain estate planning strategies that have been around for a number of years, GRATS, grantor retained annuity trusts, intentionally defective grantor trusts, dynasty trusts, these planning strategies, some of them are part of the code and some aren't. But they've been in the crosshairs of politicians that are trying to raise revenue far uh, earlier than this year, and certainly last year. They've been around, I've uh, been looking at these for quite a number of years. What's the future of these types of planning strategies from your standpoint as we look into the new administration in 2021? Well, every year the IRS has a list of issues that they would like to see Congress address. And many of the ones that you just mentioned have been on that list at one time or another. For example, the use of GRATs, a grantor retained annuity trust, they're just, they're, there's a regulation which tells you exactly how to do it. It's very kind of traditional, somewhat safe planning, but very effective because interest rates are at historic lows. If you transfer an asset into a GRAT, any appreciation over the IRS presumed interest rate, which is you know, less than a half a percent at this point, is able to be transferred out of the estate. And lots of people do what's called rolling two-year GRATs, which is really, there's no downside to it. You just put assets into a, a, period, a trust for a period of two years. It pays you back. Any appreciation during that two-year period over that half percent rate goes out of the estate and they just keep rolling and rolling. Each payment creates a new payment back, creates a new grant. And it's incredibly effective for uh, high net worth individuals. And the IRS can't stand it. They would very much like to see that reduced. So there's been a lot of talk about saying that grant terms have to be something much longer than two years, something like eight to 10 years. And I think that would be a very significant change. So we're seeing lots of people accelerate their use of grats to get some shorter term grats in there while interest rates are low and while you, know, that you can have a shorter term grat. The other thing we've seen a lot of is a transfer of business interest into these dynasty trusts. Again, the other thing that's in the IRS crosshairs and actually were proposed regulations about a few years ago was discounting. The ability to transfer a business interest in with non-voting shares and get a very significant valuation discount because of lack of control and lack of marketability. Again, the IRS has their eyes on that. Theoretically, with a Democratic Congress and Senate, House and Senate, it may be much more well-received by the legislature's a legislature than had been in the past. And as a result of that, we're seeing more people use the, the, that discounting approach now before it uh, goes away. Great. Sorry. Yeah. Steve, I wanted to talk a little bit about that discounting. And I'm going to put this under the category of urgent estate and gift planning. And as you mentioned earlier, at the end of 2020, there was a flurry of activity to kind of, for people to get things underneath the wire and before the, the new year, get their gifting completed. And that was compounded uh, by uh, the fact that many of those folks that wanted to do gifting also wanted to have evaluation done for purposes of minority interest gifting, lack of control gifting, getting that valuation discount. And of course, the valuation firms were overloaded, the estate planning firms were overloaded, the financial planning firms were overloaded, 
And you and I participated in many of those calls together with valuation firms for clients, um, just trying to get things completed. So for those clients that perhaps for one reason or another didn't complete their estate planning at the end of 2020, as we look into 2021, is this concept of achieving a realistic valuation discount and completing a gift early in the year, is that a sense of urgency from your standpoint, from where you sit? I think if people are otherwise ready to gift, then yes, I think there really is a sense of urgency. With the caveats that we discussed before, you really need to protect against a change in the law or a subsequent audit. So there's a few different ways to do that. A couple are, would be to say that, look, if we gift now and we haven't got a valuation done or we're worried about the IRS, an IRS audit of the gift tax return when it's filed, there ought to be an adjustment clause saying that in the event that either the valuation comes in higher than we expected or the IRS comes back and audits and, and disagrees with the value, the overage gets paid into either a marital trust or some type of charitable trust to protect against it. Now, again, there's a little controversy see around whether that, how to do that and whether it's effective. But again, I think it's very important to, to consider those protections. And again, we should also protect against a change in the tax law. And that could be done through a concept called a disclaimer or some type of other adjustment to provide that in the event of a change in the tax law, there's a mechanism to move the amount that would otherwise, because of a retroactive change, become taxable into a non-taxable format or transfer. Really mm-hmm. important to protect against that 40% tax. I want to talk to a little bit about individual states and how they may differ. Now, you sit in New Hampshire personally, with, and I know McLean also has offices in Boston and, and elsewhere in Massachusetts, but you have long espoused the benefits and virtues of using a New Hampshire situs to trust for tax reasons. I know there are other states, Delaware, Alaska, Nevada, um, where there are similar uh, types of advantages from where I sit or from where you sit in 2021, looking forward and helping clients plan for their trust and long-term legacy planning, how important is it for those clients to be thinking about, hey, what state should my trust be set up and administered in? Or is it important at all? Oh, it's very important to, to your point. As, as it just is the case when someone creates a corporation, they very often create it in Delaware because Delaware really has got a great corporate law. The same is true of state trust law. And trust law has been around for 500 years. Many states have kind of the original trust code or something like it that's been in place for quite a long time. And some states like New Hampshire, Delaware, South Dakota, and a few others have really modernized their trust laws. And by modernized, it's really a a few different categories of changes. Traditionally with trust law, when you name a trustee, that, that trustee has all responsibility of fiduciary duties. That's everything from control over distributions, investments, administration, and overall control of the trust. And it may be that where you need an independent trustee, there's really no need to have that trustee have all of those responsibilities. Rather, you'd rather have a family member have control over, say, investments, or a, a financial advisor have control over investments rather than an independent trustee. So in New Hampshire, and, and again, some of these other states, there's what we call a divided trust or trustee structure that allows for that trustee role to be bifurcated or trifurcated into those different roles. So you can have a trustee that, the independent trustee that has control over distributions, which is typically the important factor for tax purposes, but yet some other trustee for investment and administration purposes. So it can be much more nimble. The other big changes are, and you hinted at this, which is 
the repeal of the rule against perpetuities. In a state like Massachusetts, you can have a trust for quite a long time, but it can't be perpetual. In New Hampshire, you can have a, a perpetual trust that can last for multiple generations. So with the, the kind of fear of a lower exemption rate, many people are creating these dynasty or perpetual trusts to allow for assets to remain in trust, exempt from the estate tax for multiple generations and allowed to continue under state law. And again, you can't do that in Massachusetts, but you can do it in some other states, including New Hampshire and the other states that I mentioned. And there are lots of other uh, provisions in the more modern trust laws and that allow for modification of irrevocable trust, where in the past that was very difficult to do and often required a court proceeding. Now you can do it on a non-judicial basis. And that's important because if you're going to have a trust that lasts for multiple generations, something is going to change that makes that those trust provisions either just you know, a little bit cumbersome or inapplicable. So it's very important to allow or create a trust in a jurisdiction that allows for modifications on a longer term basis. It sounds like flexibility is a good thing when it comes to trust administration. And certainly over the years, particularly since 2017, when the estate tax exemption did double, the focus has shifted a little bit away from estate tax uh, avoidance into more asset management, asset protection, creditor, divorcing spouse protection, flexibility. and And I should also say family harmony. And a lot of times the flexibility that States allow where you can name an investment director, a family trustee, an independent trustee, all serving together can go a long way to preserving that family harmony. And that's a very important objective for many of our clients. They don't want the children quarreling over finances and having these sort of independent parties that work together to help the children alongside of them uh, goes a long way toward that. And certainly New Hampshire and other states provide that flexibility. That's, that is a great point, and it is very often the case with these high exemptions. That really is the family focus. It's not right. necessarily on estate tax savings, but family harmony. You're absolutely right. Well, I, I think that's going to do it for this round, uh, Steve. And I think the takeaway from where I sit is 2021, it's a new year, could bring a lot of changes. It's time to sit down with your estate planning council and your financial planning uh, team to review the work that you've put into place. For some of you, some of the listeners, it may be work that was put in place 10 years ago, certainly time for another look. But even work that was put in place even more recently, it's time to sit down and say, hey, look, how does my personal situation get impacted if there are changes to the law? And then for those of us that did not complete our estate and gift planning in 2020, let's proceed and get that wrapped up as quickly as possible and plan for any flexibility that's needed in light of any retroactive type of look back from Congress. So Steve, I can't thank you enough for uh, being with us today. And listeners, if you would like to speak personally with Steve or other members of uh, the McLean Law Firm, you can contact him via his website at www.mclean.com. That's M-C-L-A-N-E.com. And as always, if you would like to discuss your personal financial planning, reach out to us through our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S capitaladvisors.com. To all of our listeners, we wish you a very happy new year and we'll see you out there next time. Thanks so much. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, Triad Advisors, LLC, and their representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You
You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security, sector, or strategy to any individual person or entity. Securities offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC is a separate entity from Triad Advisors, LLC.